Are we excited? It's Sunday. Are we alive? Do we have energy? Hey, just a couple quick announcements. Number one, we've got a youth summer camp fundraiser happening right now in the atrium. I hope you're hungry. Say amen. If you're not hungry, we accept all sorts of donations of any kind. And I actually just want to hold this up. A family from first service came up after service and, and gave me this check, and it's worth two scholarships to sponsor two students to go to summer camp. Yeah, we leave for summer camp in 10 days, and we've got over 20 students on the, on the list that need financial assistance. And so uh, last year as a church, we came together. We raised over $4,000 in scholarship money for, for teenagers, and we're just praying and believing that we'll raise even more so that all the students could go and be a part of summer camp. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, also, we are still in need of some adult leaders. So if you're a parent or, uh, you know, you have a heart for Jesus and a heart for teenagers and you don't mind having no sleep for like four whole days, uh, we, would, we would be honored to have you as a part of our team. And, uh, and so we're just super excited. Any teenager between going into sixth grade through 12th grade, you are invited. Parents, if you've got a student between sixth and 12th grade, you need to sign your student up for summer camp. And then last year we had a, a student that got sponsored on this Sunday morning, the, like the Sunday before camp. He got sponsored on a Sunday morning, went to camp, wanted nothing to do with Jesus or church. At summer camp, he gave his life to Jesus, came back, and I think it was just a couple months later, the church did a baptism right over here, and he got baptized here. And it was amazing. So that's my spiel. Also, I have a testimony. Um, I have a grandpa who lives in Wichita, Kansas. And two years ago, at 73 years old, he had a stroke in his bedroom while my grandma was visiting family in Texas. And uh, he laid on the floor for 20 hours, and, and the neighbors noticed there had been no activity in the house all day. And so they called the fire department. The fire department broke in, got my grandpa, rushed him to the hospital. They were blown away that he survived. Uh, they said he, their words were that he should have been a vegetable. And uh, he couldn't walk, couldn't talk. But over the last two years, we've just seen incredible progress. He's walking now with a cane. Um, he's able to talk and have conversations. And, uh, and that's the exciting part. But then this past, two Mondays ago, Grandpa fell while he was walking with his cane and had a mini stroke and uh, had a bunch of brain bleeding right by his brainstem. And so... Um, he couldn't talk. He couldn't open his eyes. So my grandma called 911 and rushed him to the hospital. And they did a couple brain scans and found that there was so much bleeding right back here by the brainstem that they couldn't even do surgery. It would only further damage the brainstem. They called him brain dead. They said there's no, really no chance for him to recover. And so my grandma had to wrestle with, do we pull him off of life support and let him go quickly? Or do we kind of keep him on life support and drag this thing out? And she chose uh, because that's kind of what my, grand, my granddad always wanted was, uh, you know, he knows the Lord and he was ready to be with Jesus. And so she took him off life support. And 24 hours after coming off life support, all of his vitals stabilized. His heartbeat stabilized. His blood pressure stabilized. His breathing stabilized. And, uh, but he's still not on any food, so no food or water. And then 24 hours later, so 48 hours now, he started um, like mumbling under his breath, just kind of whispering and mumbling. And, and my aunt actually heard it and she was like, what? I don't know what's happening. And so, and so then that Friday, that's like, so now two and a half days later, my girlfriend, my brother and I decided we were going to drive out to Kansas for what we thought would be to say goodbye. 
And, and where it, it really impacts me is that on April, in April, Pastor Mike let me speak in here on a Sunday, and my grandpa watched that service, and he called me afterwards just to tell me he was proud of me, didn't leave a voicemail, and I thought, you know what, I'll call him back later today. And later today turned into, I'll, I'll give him a call tomorrow. Tomorrow turned into, I'll give him a call later this week. I never gave him a call back. And so now fast forward two months later and he can't even talk. And so I was dealing with all this shame and guilt and just condemnation for not ever returning that phone call. And so we drive out on Friday and there's little signs of progress, but he's still not on food or water. And we thought we were going out to say our goodbyes, but what the Lord was telling us is to go tell him to rise, to get up. And uh, we walked into that hospital room and I, I said, hey, granddad, it's Zachary. I love you. He said, I love you, Zachary. I said, um, actually, we've got a couple of pictures. Why don't we put them up on the screen? Uh, this one, well, let's do the other one first because that's amazing. But this is when we went into the hospital room. Uh, he's laying in, in bed. He could open his eyes a little bit at this point. And this is uh, about 72 hours after that mini stroke. And I'm just, he, I said, Grandpa, what do you want? And he said, uh, turn your ministry on, Zachary. And I said, oh, okay, well, you want me to read you the Bible? He said, yes. And so I, I just started reading him out of the Bible and just praying over him and speaking life into him. And then you can go to the next one. This is one day after that. There he is. His eyes are now opening. He's now talking. He's having conversation. He can hear what's happening in the room. And it's unbelievable what God has done in that, in that situation. Here's what's cool. The neurosurgeon who told my grandma all the bad news, she asked, so once you're labeled like brain dead and they pull life support, all you get is nurse attention every few hours. The doctors stop coming to check because, you know, they're just waiting for you to pass away. So my grandma called the trauma team back in and said, hey, will y'all come take a look at, at granddad? Like, we've seen some progress. We just want to get him checked out. And so they brought him in there and, and they all looked at each other and they said, we've seen 30,000 of this exact same case of brain bleeding on the brain stem, and we have never once seen a recovery like this. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. And so I just, I just released that. Hopefully it gives you faith for whatever you're walking through. I just want to say, we're still praying for my grandpa. He's still in the hospital, but we're still believing that God is at work in his situation. And you can write this down. Every breakthrough comes with a process. There's a process attached to every breakthrough. Every breakthrough requires a process. So my grandpa has a breakthrough in healing, a breakthrough in miracle, and, and, but there's a process. There's a pro He's not just walking. You know, he's, he's, he's going through a process. We've had a couple of setbacks, so we're just praying and believing, God, you've already taken him this far. You'll continue to take him even further. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me to 1 Peter in chapter 1. First Peter in chapter one, where uh, if you're taking notes, you can title today's message, if necessary, if necessary. And in first Peter chapter one, verse three, he says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We'll read another couple verses out of James chapter one, verses two through four. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. The last verse we'll read is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And we're so um, honored to, to get to spend time together in community around your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that whatever we're walking through, that you would show us that you are the answer, you're the solution, and, and you would help us to keep our eyes on you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would, yeah, just come and speak to your people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, some of you know this and some of you don't, but I am a, I'm an, a huge sports fan. I mean, huge. And, uh, and I call myself a sports fan, and my girlfriend, Nicole, would probably call me more of an addict. And, uh, you know, there's worse addictions to be had, but I just love sports. I grew up playing sports. My dad's favorite hobby is sports, and it's just something that we love. And, and you know, I, I don't watch much TV, not many television shows. And, and the reason being is that television shows are scripted, whereas sports, it's just, may the best man win. Thank you, Pastor JR, the bishop of the house. When you get an amen from him, it's like, thank you, Lord. I'm kidding. But sports, there's just something to it. There's something to the fact that anything could happen at any given time. And, 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 and I love the Super Bowl, but there's some faults I find in how they determine the champion in football. You know, in football, it's just one game, winner take all. You know, we call it the Super Bowl. And, and, and I get it. Like, it's exciting, and they make a lot of money because it's one game, and it's, you know, a, a national event. But what I don't like about it is it gives this, it gives, a, it gives teams like, we'll use a team like the Patriots. It gives them a chance in one game they could win. And it's like, y'all aren't the best team, but you just had to win one game. and all the Patriot fans get up and leave. <laughs> but I, I just don't feel like that's the most fair way of determining the champion. I like, I like the way they do the NBA Finals. I love the way they do the NBA Finals. And if you're not familiar with professional basketball, the way the champions decided in professional basketball is over the course of a seven-game series. And, uh, and to me, that's just the fairest way because uh, you have to win four games, which would be the majority, and, uh, and, and so anyways, my girlfriend, Nicole, she's a huge uh, 
calendar person. She loves to plan. She loves a calendar. She's very organized. And I, don't let me fool you, I am not that way. I, I just take life as it comes. I think that's the, the joyful life is just taking it one day at a time. Uh, but I know when the NBA final season comes around that I have to put the schedule into my calendar, into our shared calendar. And so I literally go into my calendar and I put in game one, urgent. Game two, urgent. Game three, urgent. Game four, game five, game six, game seven, really urgent. Because if it gets to game seven, man, we can't have anyone in the room. Like it's really urgent. And so we were talking and she's like, babe, all right, whatever, I get it. But like, why'd you have to put games five, six, and seven in the calendar? Like, I thought you just have to win four. I went on to explain to her, well, yeah, you, you do only have to win four, but if the other team wins a game, then it's got to go to game five. If the other team wins two games, it's got to go to game six. If they win three and you've won three, well, now we go to a game seven. And we've got a, a visual representation on the board. It shows the schedule, yes. I mean, this is screenshot and circled, and it's all up in my phone. <laughs> Game one, game two, game three, game four, game five, game six, game seven. Next to games five, six, and seven, you probably can't see where you're sitting from, but there's an asterisk right next to June 12th, June 15th, and June 18th. And on all three websites, what the asterisk means is if necessary. If necessary. I want to talk this morning out of our text in 1 Peter. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to talk today about the trials that we walk through in life, the storms that we walk through in life, and how God uses them to make us into the person he's called us to be. That trials, they do not define us, but they actually refine us. They refine our character. They refine our heart. They refine us as people. They refine us as followers of Jesus. God will use all things to make us into the people he's called us to be. First thing I want to talk about is valleys versus mountaintops. Valleys versus mountaintops. I think, um, you know, especially with the youth, with, with summer camp coming up. Summer camp for our students is a mountaintop experience. We're literally on the mountain, so I guess it's kind of a play on words, but, but it's a mountaintop experience spiritually for them. It's this moment where they get four days away from their parents. Sorry, parents, they like that. Four days away from all their parents, but also away from all distractions, all of these, this peer pressure, peer influence, and they've got four days where we carve out so much intentional time for them to spend with the Lord. And for almost all of them, this is a time where they literally get re-centered and calibrated back into who they are as people of Jesus. And it's great. It falls right in the middle of, of the summer. But here's what I've learned time and time again is that summer camp, a mountaintop experience, doesn't last forever. And if you've been living more than like a day, you can agree that mountaintop experiences don't last forever. When I got saved, I thought, this is going to be amazing. I gave my life to Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I felt it. Like, I know some of you aren't feelers, but when I gave my life to Jesus, like, I felt something on the inside. I felt fulfilled. I felt purpose. I felt joy. I felt peace. I felt it. And in that moment, I thought, yes, 
now moving forward, it's going to be so easy. Jesus is just going to carve the path, and it's just going to be an easy road from here till, you know, death do us part. It's going to be great. And then I woke up the next morning, <laughs> and it was like, well, I'm still dealing with this. I'm still going through this. I'm still battling this. I'm still, um, you know, there's still things we have to work through. And, 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 and our lives are not spent entirely on the mountaintop. There's a lot of valley moments, moments where we're down in the valley. And even David talks about it in Psalm 23. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And my question this morning that I'd like us all to think on is where is your faith when you're in the valley? How is your witness when you're in the valley? I remember being in high school and seeing my Christian friends, because I was not saved, seeing my Christian friends, uh, they would get an A on their test, and they'd be like, God is so good, yeah, he's amazing. And I would just sit there and be like, okay, dude. And then they would get an F on their test, and they'd be like depressed. I wouldn't see them for like a week. And it's like, I thought you had faith. Like, I thought you were a person of God. And, and I think that consistency is one of the truest measures and truest marks of a mature Christian. Consistency. I've got a friend who's in his 60s, and, and we get coffee every Monday morning. And every Monday morning, we talk to each other about what's going on in life. And, and if you heard, if you were a, a fly on the wall in our conversations, you would think that his life is a disaster just by what he's walking through in this season. But every time we get together, he just encourages me. He's just so consistent. He has faith. He has trust. He believes that the best is yet to come, even when he's walking through a trial. And I want to ask you this morning, where are you at when you're in the midst of a trial? When you're in the valley, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Where is your belief? Where is your hope? Peter in our text says this. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. What he's talking about is what he previously said. He said, you have a, an eternal destiny. You have a living hope. You have a God that's alive, that has reborn you. You are a new creation. In that you rejoice. In this we rejoice. I rejoice that my life isn't how it should have been. When I was 18 years old, if I kept going down that path, God only knows where I would have been. But in this you rejoice, that God has saved me. He's redeemed me. He's rescued me. In this I rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In our lives, we will walk through valleys. And I think when we get in a valley, we start to question God. We start to ponder where even is God? Is God even real? Is God present? Does God even care? And I think a lot of that is based off our expectation. I think we get saved or we begin following Jesus and we have this expectation that it will just be a clean sweep. A clean sweep. In basketball, a clean sweep is where you win 4-0. 4-0. A, I mean, not even the Warriors could do that. But we think in our lives we'll accept Jesus. It'll be a clean sweep. No adversity, no attack, no resistance, no need to persevere, no need to remain faithful, no, no need to continue walking through battles. But life is not a clean sweep. It's not 
Sometimes it has to go to game five, game six, game seven, if necessary. You know, over the last 50 years, over the last 50 years, it's almost two times more likely for a series to go to game seven than to be a, a sweep. And in our lives, it is so much more likely that you will have to walk through a trial than just have it easy, just to walk through a clean sweep. And I want to encourage you this morning that just because you're facing a trial, it doesn't mean you're going the wrong direction. It proves you're going the right direction. It proves that you're moving towards Jesus. In James, he says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. What? James, easy for you to write, bro. But do you know what I'm walking through? Like, what about the morning when my grandpa, he's not opening his eyes, he's not talking, we're walking through a trial, we think he's going to pass away. And I can just hear these words of James, count it all joy, my brother. Thanks, brother. We've even made it into like Christian knees, Christian knees. Count it all joy, brother. Just count it all joy. Just consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I think there's something so much deeper to what James was writing. I think he was writing about this inner security, this inner knowing, this inner belief that Jesus is for me even in the midst of the trial. That even though everything around me may look like a storm, it may look like disaster, Jesus is with me. He's for me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. God is on my side. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. David didn't say, I'll fear no evil for you will you know, I don't know, open up the heavens and there'll be an escalator to take me into the glory. Like he didn't say that. He said, I've, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I fear no evil for you are with me, for you are with me. God being with us should be enough to get us through the valley. It should be enough to get us through the trials, to get us through the storms, to get our eyes off of what we're walking through and onto him who made us. Life is not just a clean sweep. The word trial in the Greek is pyrasmos. And pyrasmos means an experiment or a trial. An experiment or a trial. And I just want to encourage you this morning that what you're walking through, through your own eyes may look like a trial. It may look like it's meant to defeat you or to kill you or to end you. But all it is is an experiment. It's an experiment and God is going to use it for his glory to make you strong, to make your faith refined, to make it defined. He will use all of it. And our biggest growth opportunities are birthed out of defeat. Our biggest opportunities for growth come from defeat. They don't come from victory. It's so funny in sports. When you play the same team twice, it's really hard to beat them twice because you've already, you've already beat them once. You think you know how to do it. The Golden State Warriors last year, they had the best record. They won the most games ever in one season, ever. 73 wins. The most wins ever. And... Uh, all of the announcers and all of the analysts were like, oh, well, this is, why do we even do the playoffs? Like the Golden State Warriors will just win the championship. It's just going to be easy. They're just going to roll. It's going to be a clean sweep. They're the best team ever. Best record ever. But they had no adversity. 
They had no, they had no, uh, they didn't have any resistance. So the whole season was win, 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 win. They got to the playoffs, win, 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 win. They got to the NBA finals, win, win, win. They were up three games to one. No team's ever lost a three to one lead in the, in the NBA finals. And they collapsed. They collapsed because they had faced no adversity throughout the year. And you know now, and I know, that walking through adversity, walking through trials, it makes me stronger. It helps me press on for more. It helps me trust and believe that God is with me and he is for me. I need the trial. I need the fire. I need to walk through it. Remember our friends in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The king goes to him and he says, I'm going to throw you in the fire if you keep worshiping God. And they said, do it! <laughs> throw me in the fire! I wish some of us as Christians having Jesus Christ as the living hope inside of us would say, throw me in the fire. Whatever comes my way, whatever trial, whatever attack, whatever resistance comes my way, it doesn't matter. Faith does not perish in the fire. Faith purifies. It persists and it prevails. Faith does not perish in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not perish in the fire. All it did was reveal to everyone who was watching what their faith and who their God really was. Maybe God wants to use the fire you're walking through right now to reveal who he is to the world around you. Maybe he wants to use this, this attack that's coming in work. All your business people, all your colleagues are all coming against you or, or there's just some warfare in your office. Maybe God wants to see how you'll respond to that attack, to that resistance. All it takes is one Christian to say, no, God is for me and he's with me. Doesn't matter what's coming against me. I know who God is. I know what he said. I know what he's promised. I know what he said to me. I want to talk about breakthrough and process. I said earlier, every breakthrough comes with an attachment. It's that email. You get, a, you get a, a breakthrough, there's an attachment. It's called process. Walk through it. And look, you cannot avoid process in your life. We can continue praying over and over and over again for a, for a breakthrough, but there will always be a process. Whether it's before the breakthrough or after the breakthrough, there is always a process. And I think sometimes we get into this, this frame of mind where we just want breakthrough. God, could I have a breakthrough in this area? Could you, could I have a breakthrough in my finances? And maybe God's saying, just be a faithful giver. Just faithfully give. Just be, and nobody likes that. We all want to pray and we want the heavens apart and we get a financial blessing. But the Bible says, give and it will be given to you. A great measure, pressed down, shaken together, rolling over. We live in a culture that wants to become instantly. We want to become instantly. We want to become rich instantly. So we drive to Barnes and Noble and we buy like eight books on how to get rich quick. We spend our money buying books that don't really help. We want to get healthy. 
So 24-hour fitness opens and the doors are slammed and everyone's getting a membership. And, and, and yeah, I got a membership. I got two gym memberships. Oh, oh well, I got three gym memberships. Yeah, but do you actually go? <laughs> like the whole idea of getting healthy doesn't work just by buying a membership. It doesn't happen instantly. It happens as a result of a process. God is so much more interested in who we're becoming than just what we're doing. That's why it says he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become, that we might become, that we might become. God is all about us becoming, but we want everything instantly. So we, we can't even just make a photo album for at home. We got to put it on Instagram. So everyone can see it right now. But faith doesn't work like that. Faith is not instantly. It's a process over and over and over again. And that's why James said in James chapter one, he said, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. By walking through process, we become the people God's called us to be and we lack nothing. And I have this concern that if I just keep seeing breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough without walking through process, it'll lead to entitlement. I'm all, I believe in healings and I believe in a, a breakthrough. I believe in God can do anything in a moment. But this direction is entitlement and this direction is inheritance. And if I just keep asking, pray for a financial breakthrough. Pray for a, a breakthrough in my marriage. Pray for a breakthrough in my whatever it is, man. Over time, I'm just going to become entitled. Entitlement means I can tell him what I want, and he'll give it, like a genie in a bottle. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the Lord is not a genie in the bottle. Jesus is your father, and there is an inheritance waiting for you if you'll draw near to him. There's an inheritance waiting for you if you'll walk through the process. I remember there were a number of things when I came to, to Christ, a number of things he broke. I don't even know how to explain it. It was the power of God. I dealt with such bad anxiety and Jesus broke it. I mean, it wasn't, a, the doctors wanted to put me on meds. He broke it in an instant. But then there's a process. I remember uh, even I, I had, I had been drinking alcohol and I had been um, even in smoking weed and, and God broke the desire for that in a minute. I mean, as soon as I accepted Jesus, the desire was gone. But there were other things like purity, which we never really want to talk about in church. We, purity came at the cost of process. I had to walk through a process with a number of people that are in this room and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I'm going through this. Hey, I need help in this area. How did you get over it? I had to walk through a process. Jesus wants to, he does want breakthrough for you, but he also wants you to walk through the process that you may lack nothing. Amen? Yeah. Breakthrough at the expense of process creates entitlement. Breakthrough at the expense of process creates entitlement. We're going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to close in just a moment. But I want to talk 
just about one attack that I think keeps us from, from walking fully after Jesus, and it's the attack of becoming stagnant. I think that the enemy uses storms and trials in our lives to make us stagnant. I think, um, I remember growing up, we had VCRs, which a lot of our students in youth group don't even really know what a VCR is. But I, I remember my mom, she would always, always want to hit pause. She'd want to hit the pause button so she could go, you know, make popcorn, which thank God for that. Or, 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 or go grab a, a soda or go grab whatever it was. She'd always want to hit pause. And I'm like, mom, quit hitting pause. Let's watch the movie. And I encourage my teenagers never to talk to their parents that way. <laughs> and my mom's right back there saying amen. I think one of the things the enemy wants to use against us is, is this pause button. I don't think he's always trying to kill you. I don't think he's always trying to destroy you, although he may. I think he's trying to get you to hit pause on your spiritual journey. I think he's trying to get you to hit pause on your walk with Christ. If he can just get you to hit pause on reading the word, if he can just get you to hit pause on coming to church, if he can just get you to hit pause on lifting your hands and worshiping, if he can just get you to hit pause, he's got you. He wants you to hit pause, but do you have a faith that just keeps going? In uh, Finding Nemo, the famous line is, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep. Better, all right. First service, I, I left it there to see if they would say it. Dead silent. And I was like, God, oh, this is awkward. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes that's what God is telling his people. Just keep going, just keep going, just keep going, going, going. Just keep going. Somebody in the room today needs to know, just keep going. Don't give up. God is with you. God is for you. He's on your side. He's fighting for you. He's praying and interceding in heaven. He's cheering you on. He's your support. He's your encouragement. He's inside of you and beside you and in front of you and behind you. And he's saying, just keep going. Just don't give up. You have no idea what's on the backside of your faithfulness. You have no idea what's on the backside of your obedience. Just keep being obedient. Just keep being faithful. Oh, it cost me everything. I walked through the fire. Everything's gone. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to be faithful. I got to just keep going. In Proverbs, it says this. It says, for the righteous fall seven times and rise again. The righteous fall seven times and rise again. I think a lot of us think if we fall, I must not be saved. So let me get saved again next Sunday. It's like, no, 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 no. The righteous fall seven times. They just keep getting up. They just keep getting up. The enemy just wants you on the ground. It's like wrestling. They just want you on the mat. I'm only 24, but one thing I've learned is I just got to keep getting up. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. I just got to get up. I just got to get up. It says the righteous fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. You know what separates, according to Proverbs, the wicked from the righteous? The righteous just get up. And I'm here to tell you this morning, just get up. Just keep getting up. Don't give up on your walk with Jesus. 
He's not done with you yet. The best is yet to come in your life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. That's who he is. And he is at work in your life. Just keep going. Just keep going. Jesus, we love you. We pray, Lord, that you would just help us walk through what we're walking through in life. I pray that in the midst of a storm, we would just keep our eyes on you. What drowned Peter, what he, he drowned because he didn't keep his eyes on you. We just keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't control the storms, but we can control the response. I pray that we would have a, a response that glorifies you. With every eye closed in this place for privacy and concentration, I just want to give you an opportunity. You know, maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life. We believe that church and, and following Jesus is like being a part of a family. Maybe this morning you don't feel like you're a part of that family. This morning I want to give you an opportunity to accept him. Maybe you accepted him at one time, but you've walked through some trials and some storms and your eyes have gotten off of Jesus. If you need to get your eyes back on Jesus today, this is for you. All I'm going to ask you to do is to raise your hand so that God can see your hand. The Bible says today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Today. One, two, three. If that's you in the place, would you just lift your hand to heaven? Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful for every hand that's lifted because it's a heart that is surrendering to you. I thank you that you're the Lord of our lives. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth that you are Lord. You're our savior. You're our shepherd now and forever. We thank you for our eternal hope in heaven. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.